Good morning from Washington, D.C. I'm Paul Kincaid, Director of Congressional Outreach for FMC, the Association of Former Members of Congress. I'd like to welcome you here to a special virtual roundtable. For those of you who have missed previous episodes, I'd invite you to visit our archives at usafmc.org sounds to check out our other programs and to subscribe to Virtual Roundtable as a podcast, either on Spotify or Apple. This is an interactive discussion today, so if you have a question at any time, please click the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen, fill out your name and your question, and if we choose you, our moderator will call on you to ask your question over audio only to our panel. Again, anytime during the call, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. Our moderator for today's discussion is a member of the board here at FMC and helps guide our organization. Prior to that, Bart Gordon served as a member of the U.S. House from Tennessee, serving the 6th District from 1985 until 2011. He served on the prestigious Committee on Energy and Commerce for his entire tenure and was also chairman of the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. Today, he's head of the Transatlantic Business Council. Congressman Gordon, the floor is yours. Thank you, Paul, and good morning to everyone, uh, and welcome to this, what I think is going to be a very interesting discussion of the former members of Congress Congressional European Study Group. Uh, and the word for this morning is distinguished because we have a, a very distinguished panel and we have a very distinguished group of participants. And because they're so distinguished, I'm not going to take most of the program to introduce them. Um, uh, so I'm going to get right into things. So also, the ambassador's resumes have been circulated to the participants and the participants list has been circulated to the ambassadors and Senator Bozeman. Uh, so let me just say that for the participants, uh, we have several um, um, DCMs, we have several Senate and House Chief of Staff, Legislative Directors, we have several Corporate Vice Presidents uh, for, for the Business uh, Council Advisory Group. In terms of the panelists, I'll start with Senator John Bozeman, uh, my former colleague from the House, you know, all these senators are on lots of committees, so I'm not going to go through all those committees. But for purposes of this morning, uh, John is the co-chair of the FMC Congressional Study Group on Europe, and we thank him for his help there. My neighbor, uh, Ambassador Philippe Etienne um, from France, uh, in addition to his credentials as a diplomat, I'm interested to see that he has a teaching certificate. So, in, in math, matter of fact, a teaching certificate. John, you might need him to help figure out how much this next CARES bill is going to cost. Exactly. Uh, and the German ambassador uh, is Ambassador Emily Aber. Uh, interestingly, she is the daughter of a German diplomat and is her husband a German diplomat. So it runs in the family. Thank you for joining us. And finally, ambassador from the United Kingdom, Karen Pierce uh, is the first woman uh, from the United Kingdom to be an ambassador to the United States. Uh, unfortunately, she is evicted from her grand residence on Massachusetts Avenue now. Every time I drive by there, I see all of the workers. I hope that you'll be able to get back yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you know, uh, Bill Clinton was famously quoted as saying that if he could have your library, he would never leave it. <laughs> So I hope uh, it's quite a, it's quite a, a place. So Senator um, Bozeman, why don't you start us with a any comments you would like to make in terms of where you see the state and relations, and then we'll follow that up with the ambassadors and then some questions. Well, thank you, Bart, and it's great to see you again. And uh, 
you bring back a lot of really <laughs> great memories in a very bipartisan way. Bart's a Democrat, I'm a Republican. We traveled all over the world together with he and his buddies and my buddies, and uh, we all became buddies. And uh, that's really how you change the world is through personal relationships. And that's why I think all of these things are so, so very important. Uh, I look at the, our ambassador from France. I'm very active in the French caucus, and that has grown to be one of the, the biggest, I guess, the biggest caucus of its type. Uh, you know, very, very popular amongst members. Uh, again, try, in an effort to try and, uh, uh, through dialogue, to understand each better. Our friends from Germany, uh, same difference. You're all's uh, group that, that does the uh, exchange group. There's not a more popular program. I don't think I've ever visited with anyone uh, that didn't participate in that, that wanted, came back wanting to move with moved to Germany after it was over. So you can be very proud of that. And then certainly our, our British friends, uh, I'm a co-chair of, uh, of the British Exchange where uh, British members of parliament come over to the United States. It's the oldest group of its kind. But these are all things that I think are so, so very important to our country and very successful. Uh, I think the relationship now, uh, you know, we're all family, we've got our problems, at the upper level, I think the American people have tremendous respect for all of your countries. I think that is at a very, very high level. Uh, we've had difficulties through the years and this and that. Uh, I can remember back to right after the Iraq war, there was a significant controversy there. Uh, all of those things have died down. And so we're gonna talk about some of the challenges that we have now. But the great news is that the American people have a tremendous fondness uh, for, for you all, which is, uh, is really, that, that's a good situation to be in. Ambassador Albert, would you like to have any comments? Um, thank you, um, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Congressman, and thank you, Senator, uh, for your heartwarming words. Because it's true, we, we live in very turbulent times, an unprecedented uh, pandemic in our lifetime, and monumental economic uh, contraction, and possibly uh, a geopolitical uh, shift uh, because China sees uh, the opening uh, for, uh, to leapfrog its agenda. So in this situation, uh, we should be joining forces, but I'm not quite sure whether it is that that I see right now. There are a number of disagreements. There always have been disagreements, as you pointed out, but the number uh, has uh, risen uh, over the past years. They range from uh, tariffs, uh, investigations, uh, according to Section 301, um, according to Section 232. Uh, we see the Airbus-Boeing uh, dispute. We see even sanctions. Uh, we see the dispute on burden sharing, on climate change, JCPOA, and so forth. So the overall sense that is growing is to is our partnership under stress but any such assessment would actually ignore something that is vital because we agree on a lot we agree on values we agree on rule of law we agree on democratic choices we are democracies uh, and that is important in a time that may just be a geopolitical sea change uh, because it defines um, 
as it should, uh, our capacity to shape an environment in which systemic rivals uh, try to undermine our case and cloud, as we've most recently seen in Hong Kong. And my next point is on uh, trade. The um, European American transatlantic trade relationship accounts, well, it's the single most uh, largest uh, trade relationship that exists in the world. Uh, it accounts for about half of the world's GDP and about third uh, of the world's uh, trade. So the assumption must be correct that if we stop targeting each other and cooperate in order to find uh, solutions for the disagreements that are on the table, then it will certainly accelerate uh, and support the recovery so much needed for all of us. And it may also define the standards of how trade and uh, business is going to be conducted in the world of tomorrow. So my final plea is to join forces and do some very heavy lifting together in a time uh, uh, when some actors are, try, uh, are trying to use the pandemic to drive us apart. And cooperation will mean across the board, uh, in foreign policy issues, security issues, trade issues, uh, on uh, multilateral and global issues. These are not separated universes, uh, separated in distinct uh, uh, compartments where you actually can uh, um, pursue transactional goals, which you can do in bilateral situations, but no one is ever only in bilateral situations. And as someone who has served uh, in Moscow a couple of times, I do know this. The degree uh, in which we are able to cooperate and uh, the degree in which we are able to manage um, and handle differences will um, define the assessment of others, uh, uh, whether we are able to shape um, uh, uh, the, uh, the shape the geopolitical environment and stand our ground uh, where they wish to change the balance in our disfavor. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Bart. It's a, it's a real pleasure to interact with uh, the FMC, and I am um, so so happy to see you, Senator. We we missed uh, because of this pandemics uh, uh, an opportunity to 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 see to meet in uh, in our council, and uh, I am so grateful to you for your activity with the French uh, French caucus and your. You mentioned that. I'm also very honored to be this morning with uh, my colleagues from Germany and from the United Kingdom. Hello, good morning to, to all of you. I will not teach mathematics today, <laughs> and, but I, I find that my introduction has already very much made by Emily, so it, it's difficult to add something uh, to, to what she said because I fully agree with what she said. But I think that Indeed, this exchange today in this um, in this setting is very very uh, valuable because uh, we all our countries uh, very much uh, keen to see the transatlantic partnership uh, being strong today because we we need not only to keep it but also to adapt it to, to growing challenges uh, and with this unprecedented crisis uh, created by the the COVID pandemic we have. Um, uh, indeed uh, to, 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 to try what, to succeed in what we had already to do before the pandemic, which, which is to, to adapt our international system. And for this, we need the US, of course. We need the US because the um, United States, as, as President Macron said when he, he, he made a speech uh, during his uh, state visit to the US 
to the Congress in uh, April 2018. I remember his state. The United States has, uh, had a tremendous role after World War II to shape, in shaping the international system. And now we have uh, to reform this international system and to defend our values, as Emily said, and especially our democratic values. So be it at the European level or in the G7, G20, in the United Nations Security Council, France has really worked, is working very hard in the last week to work with Germany, the United Kingdom and the United States to uh, act and to act together to act together within the, our alliance, but also to act together with other countries. If you look at uh, what is at stake today, uh, if you look at the fragility of some uh, regions in the world, it's also our responsibility to act together, uh, to be uh, in a strong partnership with the African nations. In the Middle East, we have a, a lot of crisis. We should. Uh, work really together to countries like Lebanon. We see what uh, tragedy happening in Beirut. Those, those regions are fragilized by the COVID crisis, by the security crisis over the world. And for this reason also, we need a stronger than ever transparent partnership. Ambassador Pierce. Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you, Senator. Uh, thank you very much for those warm words of, of friendship, which are uh, very deeply uh, reciprocated uh, by all of us. Um, I promise you, Congressman, we are planning the return party uh, to the big <laughs> residence now, but I'm afraid uh, it will be some time as the uh, main residence needs a new roof. Uh, but we've managed some smaller get-togethers, so I hope we'll have the pleasure of seeing you in the Senator. Uh, at one of those. Uh, my task is the easiest of all. Um, Emily and um, Philippe have, have set it out very well uh, and I agree with them. Uh, I think shared experiences in war and peace is what has defined uh, the transatlantic relationship and I think the strategic competition from Russia and China is much harder to deal with uh, if we don't stand together but also if we're not seen uh, to stand together. And I don't think it's just Russia and China. I think there is a sense in which parts of the world are less impressed uh, with the West, if I can put it that way. And therefore, I think the more we, as a transatlantic foursome, can put the emphasis on our values, on our tolerance, our openness, including trade, uh, openness, our humanity, uh, the more we can show the world why that Western but universal model uh, is a more attractive uh, path to follow. And, you know, speaking personally, I have always um, believed in what Presidents Kennedy and Reagan uh, called America the shining city uh, on the hill. So I think we really do uh, want to work as closely as possible uh, with the administration of whichever party. And um, I think the most important thing is that even where we have policy disagreements, and Emily's quite right, we'll always have uh, policy disagreements, but the fundamentals remain strong. Uh, and we have a coherence uh, between us as to how we want to approach uh, the coming problems of the 21st century. 
Uh, but thanks again for having me. Thanks for all those good comments. Um, as Senator Bozeman mentioned earlier, uh, FTC has had over a 30-year uh, exchange program with the uh, uh, German government, which has been very, uh, I think, very good for on both sides. And uh, Senator Arber, you your time in Russia. So let me start off with a question to you. What is your reaction to the U.S. troop withdrawal? Uh, how will this impact transatlantic short and long-term security goals? And will this embolden Russia to act aggressively? Well, listen, um, the, the um, troop presence uh, in um, Germany, as in the rest of Europe, has never been static. It has constantly changed as the environment changed, or conditions changed, or strategic consideration changed. So, um, withdrawals and change of postures are something that is completely legitimate uh, and fall in the purview of the government who takes the decision. Um, when, the, um, when the details of the troop withdrawals were explained, uh, um, I did see the point of synergies and more efficiency. However, there's a different narrative out there as well, and that's where politics come in. There's a narrative uh, that you can actually make a distinction between good allies and bad allies and <laughs> delinquent <laughs> allies uh, and uh, allies that are, um, well, well, bad allies. So um, there again, uh, this is this alters the story, uh, and it will um, be the basis of a political narrative that will be closely watched uh, in Russia, uh, as you mentioned. The truth is uh, that Germany has uh, has uh, increased its budget by 45% since uh, 2014. We're not at 1%, as I sometimes hear. We're at uh, one point, over 1.5% 1 right now. Uh, we are the second largest troop contributor in Afghanistan. We have, as the UK does, uh, we're part of the fourth extended presence in the Baltic states. So I would make the case uh, that uh, we've been uh, a close and steadfast ally uh, and American presence in Europe has not, own, is, has not only um, uh, secured transatlantic uh, um, security, it has also deterred Russia, and it also served American power projection in countries from the NATO realm, as you can see in Wiesbaden or Stuttgart, where the United States are coordinating with over 50 states, uh, most of them not part uh, of the NATO alliance. So my basic argument is what will be closely watched uh, um, in uh, Russia, and actually it is, and I do see that uh, in reports, is is Germany, which after all is a major partner both in the European Union and in NATO, is Germany specifically and selectively in the crosshairs? And how will that open spaces uh, that Russia could use? I heard someone saying uh, uh, that um, not only was Russia uh, was Germany um, more isolated in both organizations, but also it grew weaker. So that's something I read in uh, Russia today. I think you can take it that Russia expects a, a specific targeting of Germany uh, as a chance uh, to drive us more apart uh, and to alter uh, the transatlantic conversation both in NATO and in EU simply because we are one of the major partners. And that I find deeply worrisome uh, and that I find is something we need to um, counter and respond to collectively. 
Well, Senator, I think it's fair to say that um, the announcement of the pullout of troops on a bipartisan basis was not warmly received in the Senate. Uh, do you see any action being taken there? Uh, yes and no. The, I think that Senator Inhofe responded with a number of different things uh, that he wanted to see done. I'm not surprised that the president uh, is talking about withdrawing, talking about uh, rearranging in the sense that, you know, he's war weary, our country's war weary, your countries are war weary. I think that's very fair to say, you know, as you talk to your, uh, you know, governments talk, but citizens talk also. And again, I think it would be fair to say that all of our countries are, are war weary after many, many years now with uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, all the events that have occurred. So it's okay to talk about repositioning. I think you have to do that in a very logical way. And, and so Senator Reid, Senator Inhofe have come out and said, you know, let's look at this, but, but again, let's make sure that we uh, have a, for, a strong forward presence in Europe. Uh, we use Europe to, to make it such that we're able to uh, readily reach other areas of the world. Uh, we want to reassure our allies, again, so, so very important, uh, and take care of our military families. So I think that's what this is really all about. Uh, we in our country are concerned about the BRAC process. In Arkansas, I have several military installations that we're very proud of, that, that support our economy. Uh, Bart, you were in the same situation, you know, and went through a BRAC. So again, you know, these, these are things that are a concern. Uh, I share uh, Emily's, what we don't want is any, any hint that uh, we're not on the same page, we're not committed. And I don't believe that's the case at all. I can say that in the sense that we have a tremendous military budget, that we have troops stationed all over the world. I think we're doing our part. So the idea of repositioning and, and uh, making some changes, uh, really not when you look at the total number, not talking about significant drawdown from Europe at all. Uh, I think it's just a matter of, uh, uh, like I say, more of it in those terms. Uh, for the purposes of our participants, uh, BRAC is a process where we sort of review whether any of the military bases uh, here in the United States uh, should be reduced or elsewhere should be reduced. Uh, would either of the other senators, I mean, excuse me, ambassadors like to add to this conversation? Well, for, 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 from, uh, from a French perspective, I, I would like to to support uh, on, on, on the two points of the method and on the, on the, on, on the substance itself. From, a, from the point of view of the method, our president stressed this very much uh, last year before the summit in London, which was a success, the NATO summit. It's really important to have a, a, a sufficient consultation and cooperation in the decision-making process when it comes to decisions because what, what was decided by the U.S. Such decisions, such uh, repositioning decisions uh, happen in, in the life. But it's really important 
it's not only about Germany, it's about the security of, uh, of Europe in general. So it's important to have the conversations um, um, before the decisions. And on the decision itself, of course, uh, France also takes part to the enhanced uh, forward presence I mean, in, in the Baltic uh, states, <laughs> together with the UK and Germany. It's also very important for us to, to not uh, to, to, to keep, to keep uh, a strong position for the defense of Europe uh, and, uh, and not to downsize the level of security in Europe, uh, whatever the decisions are. And again, uh, we, we, can, uh, we can have all sorts of decisions. So I would just add these uh, two points on the method and on the decision. Very good. Um, I'll just um, chip in very briefly then, uh, if I may. I think we need to remember uh, that NATO is the most successful uh, military alliance in, in history. We all have an interest uh, in keeping it uh, that way. Um, European security uh, remains, as, as Emily and Philippe said, uh, remains very uh, important because of the Russia uh, angle. Uh, we recognize the US has challenges elsewhere in the world. Uh, we all want to do our part to meet those challenges uh, and European security uh, in the best way we, we possibly can. And I think that comes back to our very first question uh, about the transatlantic relationship. The more we can plan all these things together, uh, the stronger we will be at being able to confront those challenges. Well, let's switch to trade for a moment. Um, as, uh, Ambassador Albert made the observation the US and the EU have similar size um, economies, but together they're 50% of the world's economy. So uh, clearly um, a partnership there would be very beneficial. So let me turn then to uh, Ambassador Etienne and ask you what are the current obstacles to a greater transatlantic uh, trade and what, what's your advice on how we can move forward? I don't know whether I am entitled to give advice, but I will give you my, my preliminary view and uh, very consistent with, that, with what Emily said already in her introduction. We have a, the US and, and, and Europe, we have a common responsibility for the world economy. The world economy is a very difficult situation today, but what remains true is that our economies across the Atlantic uh, are highly integrated and dependent. And um, we um, we, we are both uh, in the US and in Europe uh, in a very, very, very difficult situation right now. We try to, to have a, see how most efficiently we can uh, recover, our economies can recover. So this joint responsibility we have for the global economy, um, general, but particular as G7 members and G7 members, is more important than ever. And I, I would give maybe three, three ideas. The first thing should be to settle our, we, we, we have differences of view, but we should, right now, in this difficult moment, we should uh, make uh, really all efforts, all possible efforts to, to solve our dispute. I will give the example of the Airbus Boeing. It, it started, more than 15 years ago, it, what, what is the purpose of this? We should 
negotiate. Both the US and European nations, their host nations, have uh, taken measures to, to comply with the uh, um, uh, WTO rulings. And uh, we, we, should, we should see that our air uh, industries, uh, both airlines, but also uh, uh, aircraft manufacturers, are in a very bad situation right now. Why shouldn't we? Why couldn't we settle this dispute? We have also China emerging as a right, a, a real competitor for both Airbus and Boeing. So the priority should be. I could quote other examples, but Emily has made a point already. We should first settle uh, our disputes, and it is possible and it is necessary. My second point is that we have on the European side made already some proposals to have a positive agenda. And uh, for instance, in terms of industrial products conformity assessment uh, in the regular, uh, regulatory field standardization, we can also advance bilaterally be between the US and, 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 and Europe uh, an, an agenda which is a positive bilateral agenda. So we have made these proposals. But my third point is about the WTO. We have common challenges with, with China, and uh, which is, uh, I will sum up with the concept of a level playing field. We have no more level playing field. And our companies, both uh, our business communities, both in, in Europe and in the US, are interested to uh, have this level playing field. We have the same challenges with intellectual property. We have uh, the same challenges with uh, investment and reciprocity in, uh, in opening the markets to investments. We have uh, plenty of, um, uh, we, ha we, ha we have we have common views on, on subsidies or state subsidies, which distort competition. So why shouldn't we couldn't we have a common position on, by the US and uh, the European nations, including the UK, of course, on reform to the WTO, which is absolutely necessary right now. And we cover in this coming position all the chapters of the reform of the WTO. Those are my three um, ideas. Uh, I put forward, uh, I submit them to you, which uh, uh, show that uh, the US and, uh, and, and Europe could do very much together to reinforce uh, our position in the global economy and to reinforce the economy in general. You've painted, I think, a very good path forward there. Would anyone else like to comment on that question? Well, the, the only thing I would say is that, that all of us right now are struggling with the, with the new economy in the world. The idea, we're, we're all of the age that we can look back not too long ago, the, the idea that we could get together in this kind of a format, we couldn't imagine, which is hard to, you know, it's hard to, it's hard for us to say that, but it wasn't that long ago. And so we, we've got all of the artificial intelligence going on. Uh, I was in a supermarket in my hometown not too long ago. I looked around and every, every kiosk was, uh, you know, self-checkout. And so that's, we're, we're moving more towards that where you see several kiosks that way, but to have every kiosk that way, uh, you know, this, this is a big disruption in our economies. What do we do with the, the people that were, uh, you, know, sat, you know, checking those groceries out? Where do they move? You know, we, we have to move them into the ability to help manufacture <clears throat> the artificial intelligence or fix it, replace it in the store. So 
great challenge. We've got all of that going on. Uh, we do have the situation with Asia, uh, making it such that, that we get a fair and level playing field that's so important for all of us, uh, but also realizing that that is a tremendous market uh, that, that we would all like to be involved with. And so uh, these are real challenges, and, and certainly we, we need to go forward. The great advantage that we have because of our common values, because of our common systems, uh, the rule of law, when you add uh, Europe's and our economies together, uh, we can compete with anybody. And I was just thinking as we were talking, uh, Emily, we've got a situation in Arkansas and, and heavily invested in, in French companies, and English companies, and German. I was thinking of Nucor. Uh, it's Japanese steelmaker. And one of my counties in Arkansas is, is going to be uh, with the uh, in addition, the, the largest steel-making county in America. But they're getting the equipment. As they do this equipment, they're buying it from Germany. So very soon, you all have you know one of the best uh, abilities to do that. Very soon, some technicians are going to be arriving to install that that equipment. So we're you know you've got a Japanese contract company buying from Germany in America. We're so entwined, and so we need to. We need to really appreciate that. We need to grow on it. And we do need to break down the barriers such that we're able to go forward and then help each other figure out as we, as we deal with this new economy. It, it is, it's just a different world in, in many respects. Senator Bozeman, as well as Ambassador ATN, both raised the China issue. And I don't, can't remember having a conversation in Washington in the last two or three years mm -hmm. where somehow China did not enter into that. And so let's skip over that just for a moment. Um, since uh, uh, Ambassador ATN, since you raised it, we'll let you start with as you are observing the strain in the US uh, China relationship, uh, how is uh, reacting to that? And how should we both be working together for our common goals? Well, the, the European Union, uh, as such, has uh, had uh, uh, the European Union, China, and um, have a very a very strong economic relationship and uh, and China, and um, China is now our the EU's second biggest trading partner behind the United States, and the EU is even China's biggest trading partner. So this is a, the reality. At the same time, there is a growing awareness in Europe uh, that the balance of challenges and opportunities um, presented by China has shifted. And China, of course, cannot, can no longer be uh, seen uh, regarded as a developing country. And uh, we, we, we expect from China more responsibility uh, for uh, upholding our rules-based international system, but also to, more, to accept more reciprocity. Um, the, the European Union and, uh, has uh, adopted a, a, new, a new view of the chi relations with China in, uh, in 2019, um, considering China both at the same time as a corporate partner with whom we have a, a very, very, especially in global 
issues like global warming of the protection of biodiversity where we our presidents um, Chinese and French president when they met they, 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 they tried to and they succeeded in, in, in taking some some important initiatives but and we we see also China as a negotiating partner where we try to, to on the on the basis of uh, this increasing importance of reciprocity to negotiate on our common interests for instance opening markets to investment. It is also a competitor in technology. And finally, we, we said, uh, and it was noticed in, in the level of the EU, that we, we view also China as a systemic model, uh, which promotes alternative models of governance. So this is the, the way we see China in different ways, which means that we have also different tools different modalities of engagement with China as a European nations. And it dif it, we differentiate them depending on the issues and policies. And again, to come back to the issue we, we discussed today, we see a, a lot of uh, things we can do together with the, with the United States. Uh, I mentioned in the, in the, in the field of trade and global economy, but uh, in all, the, in all the, the directions I mentioned, we have a, a lot of... Uh, uh, commonalities and uh, we have a lot of uh, things we should discuss and uh, discuss already of course with, uh, with our American partner. I think we could have a two-week seminar on the uh, <laughs> China issue but uh, anyone else it looked like Ambassador Pierce you were making some notes would you you have any comments you'd like to make? Uh, well thank you I mean I, I think Philip's uh, spot on uh, to be honest, we do have a, a different sort of calibrated uh, relationship with China than um, the United States has. But the most important thing uh, is that China plays by the international rules, uh, whether that's security uh, or its trade, with, with reference to uh, Philippe's earlier answer. Um, but I think it's also important that we are careful between us, transatlantic uh, relationship, to set out a positive vision of the direction we want things like the WTO and international organizations to go in. We know we don't want China to dominate. Uh, there is a bit of a risk of that, that our inaction uh, allows China uh, to dominate in these institutions and certainly uh, to push her bilateral programs uh, like Belt and Road. Uh, but I think as part of looking at the challenges that we face in the next 10 to 20 years, uh, we ought to think about what uh, approach we have collectively uh, that's a positive one that makes it easier rather than harder for developing countries to follow an open, liberal, transparent agenda uh, rather than the model put out by China. And I do think uh, that's important. And I think we, we could all benefit from more discussion around that theme. You raised a good point. So, Ambassador, uh, are there what are your suggestions for how we make China, as they say, play by the rules? Uh, you're still talking to me or to Emily? Sorry, Emily. Uh, uh, to um, Ambassador Abair, see, um, how do we work together to have China play by the rules? Is it Emily or Karen? Uh, Emily, if I, um, I couldn't. Emily, you. Okay, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. So what I'd say is this. Uh, we agree on a lot, as both my uh, pre-speakers have uh, um, uh, 
explained. We agree that we need to confront China when it pursues policies that are unacceptable, when it uh, intentionally breaks international law and replaces the rule of law with an authoritarian regime, which underscores that China's feature as systemic rival, uh, which uh, Philippe quoted, has actually grown in the, uh, in the crisis. China has certainly become more uh, uh, confrontational and we need to push back and we need to stand our ground firmly. And there are a lot of areas where we need to do that. But I guess where I do see differing um, underlying assumptions uh, um, is in the context of the ambition of our respective policies. Can we actually um, coerce China into transformation? Uh, can we coerce change of behavior or policy outcomes? I would contend uh, that China is a superpower and what we can do is we can uh, shape the environment in which China rises. We will not be able to stop or even reverse the, uh, uh, the rise of China, but we can determine and shape the terms under which we want to coexist and cooperate with China. And there are many issues here again, I won't, uh, uh, um, I can only quote uh, uh, Philippe, there are many issues uh, uh, out there, global issues, uh, ranging from climate change to pandemics, uh, uh, to AI standards and so forth, where China is simply too big to ignore, which means that we'll need uh, space for diplomacy and space for politics, even if the respective and individual Chinese politics uh, um, policies um, are contrary to ours. But we need the space uh, to find, uh, well, at the end of the day, to present choices uh, to China. So it will be um, a very complex uh, policy approach. Uh, it will have its contradictions. Uh, we must be certain to show uh, where we'll well, we will certainly not budge, uh, but we need the, uh, to retain space uh, uh, where we need China for a solution because the lack of China the, uh, or the absence of China uh, or a Chinese disengagement uh, would actually not bring uh, solutions uh, nearer. So I'd say we need a three-pronged approach, uh, dealing with China uh, where we need uh, China, uh, pushing back where Chinese politics are unacceptable, uh, and trying to shape an environment uh, where the competition with China can be managed. I think you framed a very good um, discussion there that hopefully the various groups that are listening will be having and can help put some meat on that. Senator, would you like to add anything to this China engagement? Well, I, I would agree with uh, everything that's been said. The, the, I'm not as diplomatic as our diplomats. <laughs> Chinese have the tendency to lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, and their human rights are abysmal. Not talking about the Chinese people, but the Chinese government. And so because of that, uh, we have to push back. And I think the president actually has done a good job of that. He got their attention. Uh, we have a, a relationship where we're dependent on them, they're dependent on us. But I do think that, that he did uh, make them understand that we simply were not going to continue down the path we had been uh, where they could do these things without, uh, without paying a price. So it significantly affected their economy. And uh, I think we had some, before COVID, uh, all of us, you know, we're having some really good talks. And, and, and I think better understanding 
where China was going and simply there would be a price to pay uh, if that continued. On the other hand, China is a tremendous market. It, it represents a great opportunity for all of our countries uh, to uh, uh, be able to sell our products to, to a humongous middle class. And then too, it's our, I think it's our interest as we push back together to make it such that, that we help uh, by uh, reining them in a little bit, you know, in the sense of trying to bring greater stability to that whole part of the country, so whole part of the world, rather. So it's a difficult situation, uh, and, and it is going to take all of us working together very, very closely. And the one thing that we have is common values, respect for the rule of law, playing by the rules, and we simply need to get others to do that. It's 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 simple, but it's very difficult. Well, that was a little bit of Arkansas, tell it like it is. <laughs> um, Ambassador Pierce, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, I, I agree with, um, with what the Senator said, but also what you said, Congressman, I think this does deserve further discussion. Yes. Uh, I think we'd all love to be part of that. Sure. Well, I think, as I say, I think that this has set some boundaries and hopefully this discussion can go forward and even more importantly, hopefully, some consensus can be developed. So before we move to the um, questions from the participants, Senator Bozeman, let me ask you, what would a reinvigorated transatlantic relationship look like and what would be the glue that binds that together? I think the glue that, that binds it together uh, is again, uh, you know, just continuing to draw on the friendships and the respect that our nations have for each other. Uh, and that's really what it's all about. You change, you change things through relationships. And the good news is, is that we've got our differences, but our country, I think, as far as the, the attitude of the average American, the average working person, you know, just trying to take care of their families and kind of trusting us, you know, as diplomats and leaders in our country to do the best we can, uh, you know, their view of each, uh, you know, of, uh, of each other is, is great. As I said in Arkansas, you know, Arkansas is a tremendous example of all of the economic activity that's going on amongst our countries. We need to build on that. Uh, we need to uh, do a better job and we can do it through things like this, Bart. We so appreciate you getting us together. But uh, you know, we can, we can grow these things based on that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that we need a, in this very difficult world, we're fighting an economic battle in all of our countries. The idea that our countries have, you know, literally been shut down is unprecedented. We went from the best economy in 50 years to, to you know, the worst in 70 years. And so, we're all in that situation. And then again, fighting the virus. Uh, besides, as I said earlier, I, I think the major thing is how, how do our economies respond in the future with artificial intelligence and all that's going on as we have this new, new uh, industrial age, however that's going to shake out. So just continue closer cooperation, I think is the key. Either of the um, ambassadors, Want to comment on that? 
Okay. Okay. You summed it up, John. That's good. So, uh, Paul, let me uh, <laughs> let me uh, uh, pivot to you and see what questions we have from the audience. Sure. I think we have a question from Nancy Justin Slagle, who is one of our business advisory council members. And Nancy, you can go ahead with your question. Thank you. Thank you, Senator, um, ambassadors and uh, Congressman Gordon. Um, it, we've had the privilege of participating with FMC for a number of years and very much appreciate this level of dialogue. And I've talked to, to most of you previously, but for Lockheed Martin, the value of the cross-Atlantic relationship is absolutely essential. Um, you've talked a lot about the importance of the transatlantic security relationship and economic relationship. I just want to make a comment and a, a quick question. Um, a comment is related to COVID and the, the global response and the importance for the level of communication and transparency among our, our allies in both understanding how we define essential industry and uh, resiliency of the supply chain. For, for companies, as we, we look to where we're going to invest and partner, um, you know, we used to talk a lot about transparency, predictability, and accountability, the rule of law. And I would say part of that for the security and defense and aerospace industry is highlighting the value of interoperability training, joint training, the, the relationships made among service members and, and officers, and really focusing on the resiliency of our uh, security networks, um, our people, and um, our, our processes. So going forward, my one question is about NATO and the EU. And as we seek to strengthen our security alliances um, and our economic opportunities, do you see the NATO strategy and the EU defense strategy continuing to move forward jointly, or is there a risk um, to seeing a divergence there? Maybe we should go to Ambassador Albert for well, we talked a lot about China before, and it is uh, obvious uh, to everyone, I believe, that this is the overwhelming, daunting challenge of our day and time. So it is all but logic uh, that the focus and the attention uh, will probably redirect to other regions of the world, because it's not in Europe uh, where you see the major challenges, but there continue to be major challenges in Europe too. So uh, what Americans will want and what the transatlantic relationship will require is stronger European capacities, but not as a response uh, to, uh, say, American decisions, but uh, to, as a response to a changing geopolitical uh, environment. They are not uh, contradictory or mutually exclusive. Uh, they are firmly rooted in a shared sense of transatlantic security and transatlantic uh, alliance. They're mutually reinforcing. Would anyone like to? Yes, I, I would like to reinforce what Emily said. 
we, we see the uh, 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 defense strategy of the European Union, which is uh, one of the uh, most important uh, pillars of the, uh, of the strengthening of the European Union, of the European integration, in our view, completely complementary and um, of NATO, and also not, not only complementary, but really useful for NATO and for our common security. And Emily said at the beginning that Germany makes a big effort to step up its own national defense budget. And we, we try all to be at the national levels um, to, to take more seriously our commitments to the defense, to the common defense. But the European Union effort comes on the top of that and it's still uh, another way to reinforcing our common defense. And may I add just one point to it? I sometimes hear skepticism about the direction decisions in the European Union are taking. And I don't really get it. Because if the Europeans are strengthening and sorting out their home base, that surely is a security asset for the Transatlantic Alliance and NATO too. Art, let me, let me add, I, I can't speak for the country, but I, I think I can speak for the feeling of Congress. And the feeling of Congress, uh, for somebody you know, else being around for, you know, 20 years almost, uh, Art, you know, you being around for a long time, I think you would agree with this, that, that the uh, Congress is more than supportive of the NATO alliance. We realize how important it is. Uh, we're always going to, uh, you know, be concerned. I know that when Bart and I were traveling to all the NATO meetings, uh, we did three major meetings a year in that regard. Uh, we always brought up the need for partners to contribute, you know, to pay their way. And then the caveats, you know, uh, not only do you need to contribute, but you need to be able to do lots of stuff, you know, when you're on the front. And that's going to continue. But, but I, I really want to reassure you that, that the, you know, there is a tremendous support. And I think the, you know, Congress is very proud of the record of NATO. You know, the fact that it's done such a tremendous job through the years uh, and that that's going to be so, so very important going forward. The other thing I would say is that, that uh, she also mentioned the supply chain, which is so important. We didn't realize that, I didn't realize that most of our medicines were being either the medicine itself or the, uh, you know, the precursors to making, you know, the medicine were manufactured in China and other places. So we, you know, all the personal protection equipment, you all are in the same situation. You know, that was, it's being manufactured in China. I really think there's a great opportunity for the EU uh, you know, our European allies, again, to look at that, and, and certainly I would be much in favor of shifting those supply chains to, uh, you know, countries that we trust and, and, again, go by the rule of law. The only other thing I would say, and, and you know, Europe's going to have to figure it out for themselves. I know that when I'm home and I'm talking to my states, my state, I'm talking to my local government, I always tell them, you can't think independently anymore. You have to think as a region. And so the idea that, that Europe has the ability to go this on their own, 
you know, you know, moving more in defense of themselves versus the NATO model mm-hmm. or us trying to do it, you know, and doing away with it. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I think in the day and age that we live, it's just the opposite. You know, we have to, uh, we have to work together. And it's simply not possible to do that. Uh, as perhaps back in the old days, you know, a, a nation state could do those things, but uh, I think it's very, very difficult. I think one fundamental uh, building block we can all agree upon that within the United States, there is a bicameral, bipartisan, strong support for the transatlantic relationship. Large portions of our population think of themselves as Irish Americans, Italian Americans, German Americans, you know, French Americans, you know. Um, and so there can be, as we maybe pointed out earlier, maybe some family uh, disagreements, but we start with that fundamental basis. Um, let me just ask if anyone has any, uh, of our panelists has any concluding um, remarks. Well, the only thing I would say is I look forward in the very near future when we get some normalcy back to our lives to being in uh, one of your all's beautiful residence or, or uh, you know, embassies so that we can do this in person. Uh, they're simply, these are great. And, and I think, you know, we get to cover a lot of information. There's just simply no substitute for being together and, and uh, you know, having coffee, eating lunch, eating supper. And uh, so we're, we're going to work on that. And uh, again, I think the way that's how you change the world is through these relationships. So thank you all. And, and we're very, very proud of uh, our friendships uh, with everybody represented and uh, the great nations that you represent. My only, conclusion, my only conclusion would be, as long as Karen has not uh, taken over again, it's, it's her beautiful residence. Our residence uh, would be uh, very, we would be honored, Senator. But thank you. It was a, it was a great pleasure for me this uh, this morning, together with to to be with Karen and uh, with uh, and with you, Senator, and you, Congressman. Thank you very much. And from me, thank you as well for this family meeting and for reminding all of us uh, that we are actually family. And my, my thanks to, uh, to everybody, Congressman, Senator, Emily and, and Philippe. We look forward, as the Senator said, to meeting in person. Uh, if I can't offer a residence, I will offer some whiskey uh, <laughs> or whatever else participants might like. Okay. Thanks very much for including us. Shared experiences. You know, this really has reminded me that how, sort of, I won't say depressed, but how during this lockdown, how I have missed these kinds of conversations and um, among uh, friends and, and trying to find solutions. And I think most of us on this call are a part of different think tanks and associations. And so hopefully we'll all take back this framing and um, continue this conversation. So thank you all to the advisory council and on with a good day. Thank you. Thank you.